Welcome to Food and Wine with Chef Jamie Gwen. Celebrate food and life by learning about the culinary scene around the world. Speaking with chefs, artists and food makers, farmers, authors and tastemakers who are passionate about everything delicious. A very good weekend to you food lovers. Chef Jamie Gwen in your radio. This is your culinary and lifestyle show where I'm delivering scrumptious information every weekend. So mark your calendar and be sure to tune in. If you happen to have missed a show, don't worry. My podcasts are posted on iTunes under Food and Wine with Chef Jamie Gwen. And you can find a direct link at chefjamie.com where you'll find an arsenal of recipes to fill every day with fabulous flavor. This show goes way beyond mere eating and drinking because I'm on a mission to find the most exciting places, new experiences, emerging trends, chefs and sommeliers and mixologists and artisans and cookbooks to share with you. And so I bring you insight into the wide world of food, and it's my goal to satisfy your cravings. I hope you'll become a fan and a friend on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Chef Jamie Gwen as well. And let's get this party started, shall we? A very happy new year to you. I hope that you are healthy and well and safe and wearing a mask and that you're enjoying time in the kitchen, that the holidays were joyful, albeit maybe quiet, uh, but that you have some goals and aspirations for this new year, gastronomically focused, of course, and maybe one of them is to master the basics. I don't think just the mother sauces fall under the basics category. I think flavor bombs fall under the basics category. So maybe you're going to have a really beautiful vanilla vinaigrette in the fridge at all times to toss with mixed greens and toasted pecans and some dried cranberries for a winter salad that's really full of flavor. Or you're committed to making your own mayonnaise. Uh, Maybe you want to master caramelized onions. Well, I'm all about caramelized onions. In fact, I have a thing for them, really. And there are lots of tricks out there for caramelizing onions in a fraction of the time that it really should take. And they may all sound like good ideas, but caramelizing onions until they're deeply, beautifully brown and sweet takes time and attention. So, I love to post recipes and photos with caramelized onions, like to top a ribeye steak or uh, in a beautiful breakfast frittata. And I do, of course, look for your insight as to what kind of wisdom you're looking to gain. And I got a really lovely email from Brian asking about my, let's say, philosophy on caramelized onions. So it's the technique of the week, and I'm kicking off the show with a tutorial. So listen up. Okay, here's the trick to caramelizing onions. There is no trick. At least I have yet to find a method that promises significantly faster results and gives you the beauty of it. I have seen everything from slow roasting them in the oven to adding baking soda to adding sugar. And while you can turn up the heat a little bit toward the end of the process and speed it up a bit, there's really nothing to substitute for the time and attention it takes to make beautiful caramelized onions. So here's what you need to know to make them right. 
First off, what are caramelized onions, you ask? Well, they're made by very slowly cooking onions that they become meltingly soft and deeply, beautifully brown and wonderfully sweet. Now, I have a crazy sweet tooth and I love sweet heat. So my brilliant breakfast frittata is a mix of things left in the fridge, but it always starts with either caramelized onions or caramelized shallots because I love the sweetness that it adds to that lovely frittata. Now I pair it with some sort of hot sauce and usually something creamy and delicious like creme fraiche or sour cream as a topper. And so I get sweet heat, cold chill from the cream, and then the beauty of fluffy, puffy egg frittata. And to me, it's texturally and flavor-wise just an absolute beautiful combination. And the caramelized onions really make the frittata. In fact, caramelized onions make so many things wonderful. So you're going to start with usually sliced, but you could dice them if you want, onions. Now, what kind of onions, you ask? Well, really almost any onion will work, in fact. Um, I happen to think that a sweet yellow onion is the best choice, but you can use any kind, red onion, white onion, shallot. Uh, I think that the extra sweet varieties lend themselves to even better caramelized onions. And what actually is happening is two different browning reactions are at play when you make caramelized onions. The sugars break down into new molecules when you slowly cook them. And then the mallard reaction, which is where proteins and sugars transform into new flavor molecules, those two processes come together to give you something so very luscious. Now, You can make caramelized onions in the oven, but it takes an exceedingly long time. You start them on the stovetop until they've released some of their liquid, and then you transfer them to a 375-degree oven, and you stir them occasionally, and you need a few hours at least. I would rather stand with a glass of Chardonnay, story to follow, and make caramelized onions, take a deep breath, uh, reduce my stress, and embrace the process. Now, there is another solution. You can make caramelized onions in your pressure cooker. It is an avenue that is often used for quick caramelized onions. The science there is that the browning happens faster at higher pressure, right? And the science works, by the way. But there are some negatives. You see, the pressure cooker, once you seal the lid, um, is, is a black box. You don't know what's going on inside. And so you don't have any way to stir or to see if the bottom is burning or if you happen to have a hot spot. So the even bigger problem, by the way, is all that pressure that builds up, it actually creates liquid. So the caramelized onions are not dry when you take them out. In fact, they are swimming in liquid, which is evaporation. And so I don't think they make real, pure, delicious caramelized onions. Now, the best cooking fat for caramelized onions on top of the stove, in my culinary opinion, humbly, 
is butter and unsalted butter, by the way, because it contains milk solids. And so the browning process actually kicks off more quickly than it, let's say, if you just used olive oil. I use a combination of olive oil and unsalted butter. Unsalted butter, because I like to season to my own palate. I don't want someone to salt for me. And so I season with salt and pepper actually throughout the process and then make sure that I taste test at the end to adjust accordingly. And as far as the best pot or pan for caramelized onions, I think um, a tri-ply, so something heavy stainless steel with an aluminum core or even cast iron produces the best caramelized onions because a nonstick pan slows down the process. And the size of the pot makes a difference, by the way. The larger the batch, the larger the vessel. All right, that is a tutorial and a fun one. I hope you thought so. I did. On caramelized onions. And that leads me to food news this week. This is news you can use. I used to say that this is a very good dinner party conversation, so we'll get back to that one day, hopefully this year, 2021, right, where you gather your friends together and you get to dine and enjoy and it isn't via Zoom. But truth be told, I think food news is for all of us that love to cook or love to eat. So this is good news, potato chip lovers. You know the variety pack that you buy? It's got little bags of your favorite chips. Well, it's a blessing and a curse, right? You definitely get saved from the boredom of a single flavor. But the price of the assortment is inevitably that there is a bag or two that is not to your taste. Well, for 2021, listen here, Frito-Lay is giving you the gift of freedom from the shame of unwanted snacks because they have announced a make-your-own-variety pack. You see, the concept is simple. You go to snacks.com, which is Frito-Lay's snack website, and you make your own variety pack. I'm so in. I love this. Snack-sized bags of everything you love, right? And it is currently available, by the way, only on the eastern side of the U.S., but they're rolling it out nationwide at some point soon, from what I understand. You pick any 20 snack bags. I will take Doritos, Cheetos, Fritos, Sun Chips, please. And then they pack it for you. The cost is a flat 10 bucks plus shipping. And I think that's pretty cool. It's snacks.com. They are not actually a supporter of this show, albeit I would love for them to be. That's just really good food news, don't you think? Chef Jamie Gwen in your radio with lots more fabulous food and delicious conversation right after this. Don't go away. Welcome back, Chef Jamie Gwen in your radio, feeding your soul every weekend. New year, new you. As we embark on 2021, do you aspire to feel better, to eat better? Well, nutritionist Carly Knowles believes that each meal, each snack, each sip is another opportunity to nourish our bodies, prevent disease, help you feel good, function optimally, even heal and restore your body. Her first book has just released, and it is an 
elegantly written cookbook that is thoroughly informative, written by a dietitian nutritionist that focuses on food as medicine. She is Carly Knowles, a registered dietitian nutritionist with a master's degree of science in nutrition and a dedicated home cook. We're talking whole foods and nutritious seasonal dishes to nourish your good health. And I am delighted that Carly Knowles joins us. Happy New Year to you, Carly, and congratulations. The book is, I will tell you, it's a beautiful work of art, and I found it, reading through it, so very empowering. Oh, thank you so much, Jamie. Thanks for having me. Yes, Happy New Year. of course. It's such a treat for me. Well, thank you. Thank you kindly. Well-deserved. Um the book really, I felt, sort of put me in check at the beginning of the year, right? To be mindful again uh, after some indulgence about um, how I'm eating. And food really is medicine, you say. Uh, would you tell your story, please, about your experience in Peru? Because it really did pave the way uh, for you to become a dietitian nutritionist and to pay it forward as you are doing. Yeah, I would be happy to share. I, I'm so inspired by this community that I worked with. Um, mm. I worked for a nonprofit in Peru, um, and we our, our mission was to teach health and hygiene to the youth in various ways, and my job was to um, use art as a medium for sharing some um, of Mm. these, you know, health ideas. And I spent a lot of time um, working on art with these kids, and I started to notice that many of them were losing their vision. Um, They were actually going blind, and I didn't understand at the time what was causing this, Um, and I also noticed it in the adults as well. And one of my um, one of my co-workers at the time, she informed me that it's actually um, a blindness caused by vitamin A deficiency, wow. uh, and it is not reversible. So it's permanent blindness, mm. and uh, it was just from lack of understanding and access to food that has vitamin A in it, and that blew me away. That was um, a really significant moment for me where I realized food really has the power to maintain our vision and so many other things. And also, without certain nutrients, we can lose our vision or have other ailments or issues, disease, et cetera. So it just, it was really a profound moment for me. And I, I knew that I needed to learn as much as I possibly could about um, the subject of nutrition and food specifically, how to use our food um, to treat our bodies, Mm -hmm. you know, optimally and to fight off um, different diseases. And I I knew I had to get my master's degree in nutrition. So that's that's how it all began. And good for you. What a commitment. I think to, to sharing this wealth of knowledge as well, the book is entitled The Nutritionist's Kitchen, and it is a science-based guide, but it's very approachable. I mean, I love the way you cook. I cook that way too. And I try to embrace that, you know, if I'm going to indulge, let's say, um, I'll find something healthy that feels good, that tastes good, that nourishes my body throughout the day to sort of create a balance. And I wonder, um, how do you eat? Like, for instance, what did you have for breakfast? <laughs> That's a great question. I, I just, and I have to piggyback on what you said. You know, food, food needs to taste good, right? 
regardless yes. of its health benefits, like indulging or not, like we're drawn to delicious food. So my book, hopefully, as approachable as it can be, is because it's full of food that tastes good. It's mm-hmm. really flavorful, yummy stuff. Um, and then it has some nutrition as well, and so we get into that. But for breakfast this morning, um, yogurt and granola was my go-to. Nice. I'm a busy mom, yes. and that was a, a quick pull-together um, breakfast that sure. I eat often. What's for dinner? Oh, gosh. Okay, for dinner, we just made lentil stew, which is actually in my cookbook. It's, um, I love curry. lentils. I love them. Yes, yes they're so lentils hearty. Lentils are fabulous. Yes. They are. And this time of year, it's just like the most nourishing, warming uh, dish. So we made a really big batch of that, and we'll have some for dinner tonight as well. Nice. And then will you satiate your sweet tooth? Oh, always. (laughs) (laughs) I knew I I liked you. I mean, in general, but especially now, I'm actually very, very pregnant. Yes. So it's just a non-negotiable. There will be dark chocolate at the end of every day. (laughs) Oh, good, as there should be. That makes for a happy baby. Um, Okay. I think so. Yeah, for sure. Um, you mentioned lentils. I wonder um, what, name a couple if you would, what staples during the winter season are essential to your pantry? Like if we want a go-to that's healthy and for wellness, but that satisfies, like a lentil stew is hearty and warm. And you said uh, it has curry and coconut. And so there's heat, I would imagine. I can't wait to make that, by the way. Um, What are your other go-tos? Yeah. So, you know, we talked about breakfast. I think porridge or like a warm cereal Ah, is a really awesome go-to in the winter. We we get stuck with oatmeal. We think that's the only way to eat our whole grains for breakfast. But um, I really like uh, warmed quinoa with milk with Mm. some mixed nuts and seeds. Nice. Or like a muesli. Um, I have a recipe in the book that mixes quinoa and buckwheat together to make a really yummy porridge. Mm. Um, so I pantry really like, staples for sure. Yeah, yes. totally right. And yeah. they're they're fairly inexpensive, which is great. And you keep them, you can keep them for a long time. Um, and then root vegetables. I'm just thoroughly obsessed with beets right now. Oh. Um, so that probably will. You know, even though they're not necessarily in my pantry, although I do have some pickled beets that are delicious. Oh, nice. And and the raw beets, do you do them everything from shaved, like on a mandolin in a salad, to the wonderful roasted variety? Yes, nice. all of the above. I don't discriminate with beets. <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're a beet-loving kind of person. I like that. I love a raw shaved beet, I will tell you, for vibrancy and color, for crunch, in fact, you reminded me of it. Thank you. And so I'm going to start adding them to my winter salads because they add so much to the senses. Like they're a sensory vegetable to me. And then roasted, of course, I make a beet and apple puree, Carly, that's actually really lean and clean and is delicious with grilled or roasted chicken or even like a pork tenderloin. Um, and I, I think beets always show well. Yum. Yeah. That, that sounds incredible. Yeah. And, you know, I have to throw in as a nutritionist too – don't forget the beet greens. If you're ah. lucky enough to be to to include the beet greens with your beet purchase, yes. you know those greens have a lot of iron and they're just such a nutritious vegetable, delicious. Yum yum yum. Oh Carly, you're making me hungry. Will you please stay with us cuz there's so much more to dish on. The Nutritionist's Kitchen, the book, Carly Knowles, the expert. You and me, Chef Jamie Gwen, back right after this. 
I, I very much believe in supplements. And, I, and like you said, it's to, to each individual. Um, but there is a beautiful benefit. Now, per the book, and by the way, if you've just tuned in, you're late because Carly Knowles is here. <laughs> the book is entitled The Nutritionist's Kitchen, um, and it's on its way to award winning. I'll tell you, the book has been so um, very much hyped and well received. In fact, it's all about whole foods as everyday medicine. Uh, Carly is a registered dietitian nutritionist, and I follow at Carly Knowles, K-N-O-W-L-E-S Nutrition. Um, the book is insightful and inspiring, empowering, and it's delicious. So I chose some recipes, Carly, and I would love if you'd talk us through some of them. Do you mind? Yeah, please. Okay, good. So you make your own almond milk and you say it's creamier and tastier than what you get at the grocery store. And I agree. And I think lots of people do, but not everyone is flavoring it. And I love that you are. Yeah. Oh, I I think flavored almond milk is like one of the highest joys in life. It's so (laughs) simple to do and you can... Just, there's just endless combinations of flavors. So in my book, I make a strawberry almond milk. Yes. And you can do this with fresh or frozen strawberries, depending on the time of year, your access to strawberries, etc. cetera. Um, but the same rules apply. You put everything in a blender, mm-hmm. you blend it, and then you strain it in, into the milk, and you separate the pulp or the solids of the nuts from the liquid. Mm-hmm. And if you think of it like that, that's, it's just this blended concoction, right? So you can add any flavor you want. You want blueberry almond milk. Mm-hmm. You have some leftover, I don't know, oranges. You sure. want orange flavored. I mean, it can go as far as you want, and you can bake with it that way. And it's just such a great way to add another level of depth of flavor and more nutrition. Yeah, I love the complexity that you've added to it. Like, I want to put orange almond milk in my coffee. Yeah. Because that, that, sounds, that delicious. sounds delicious. Yeah, and okay. And then I want to, like, stir it with a cinnamon stick. That, oh, that's a good yum, morning. Yes, yeah, that would be a good morning. Um, okay, I'm moving on because I, I marked so many recipes that I can't wait to make. Um, I understand that you have a radish fetish. Is that true? <laughs> I I have a minor radish fetish. A minor one. Admit. Okay. A minor one. Good. I'm, I'm glad that, uh, that weighed I, it. Well, yes. I, I will say any, I mean, so radishes are what they call cruciferous vegetables. I'm sure you're aware. Yes. But the, some of the other cruciferous are like broccoli and cauliflower and Brussels sprouts. And I am obsessed with all of those. Radishes are probably at the top. And then I think if you roast any of those, but again, especially radishes, and you add butter and some salt. I mean, I don't know if there's anything better. Okay, so I happen to love radishes too. And being trained in the traditional French fashion culinarily, uh, I will tell you, I ate um, bread with soft uh, salted butter and radishes for forever. I still do. There's just something beautiful about it, like the peppery bite of the radish and the creamy butter and the soft bread is just wonderful. And I've started roasting them of late. And there is a caramelization that happens, very similar to Brussels sprouts, right? That is just so good. And talk about, like, that would be your best addiction. Sure, make a double batch, right? Put it out for dinner. You can eat all you want. They're radishes. Um, And radishes come so many varieties today, too. So what a wonderful winter dish. It's just lovely. Yeah, it's fun. And I I have to say this, too. Here's one of those cool food is medicine, like, little notes, 
to, to make, but all those cruciferous veggies I mentioned, if you chop them and expose their, their insides, their cellular structure to air, and you let them sit for a minute, we actually have research that shows we increase the enzymatic activity, a.k.a. their potency, like their nutritional benefit. Huh. So there's these cool little things we can do to our food That's like that fascinating. that I sprinkle throughout the book and, and help people learn about because I think they're so cool. Yes, I didn't get to that page or that tip yet. But I, yeah. I, I will say it is a wealth of knowledge reading through the book, and, and I've loved learning. So thank you for that. That's amazing. Okay, good to know. Uh, wheat berry salad with butternut squash and maple vinaigrette on my list of recipes to make. How about roasted chicken salad with grapes and poppy seed yogurt dressing? Yes, all of the above. Those, <laughs> those are two of my favorites. They're hearty. They're nourishing. They're great this time of year. Mm. You can substitute so many different things in the wheat berry salad. If you have a different type of squash, that works well. Um, it's a really yummy, the wheat berry salad, it's with butternut squash and maple vinaigrette. It's kind of sweet and kind of tangy um, and just wholesome. It's it's really crave-worthy. And then full that of chicken salad is really right? good. Full of fiber, that wheat berry full salad. Of, yep, full yeah. of fiber, good. full of B vitamins, mm. protein. Good. Um, yeah. it's, it's a really healthy uh, nutrition-packed dish, for sure. And it's colorful and pretty, which I think is always important, right? We eat with our eyes. Oh, for sure. Um, yeah. Yeah. So that's fun, and the chicken salad keeps really well in the fridge, so it's mm. a great dish to batch cook, meaning you make a bunch of it at once. Sure. And then it just gets better, you know, over the a couple days in the fridge, and it's convenient little lunch or sandwich toppings. Yeah, no, I can't wait to make both. And then just leave us with this. So we know you have a sweet tooth. Um, yes. yes, a pregnancy one, which is definitely magnified <laughs> at the moment. Um, serious. A serious sweet tooth. Uh, and, and, and a radish addiction. I don't know. You're going to have to see your physician husband about some of these issues, I think. <laughs> um, We're working on it. <laughs> I bet. It's a work in progress. Um, you, you talk about one of the fastest, most satisfying desserts you know. I thought it was brilliant because I only stuff my dates with like very aged cambazola or blue cheese, Yum. but I've never stuffed them with cashew butter and I can't wait. A nut Yum. butter stuffed with dark chocolate and sea salt? Count me in. Right? I 100% agree. And honestly, this, this recipe takes just mere minutes. Like melting the chocolate is as long as it takes, which hmm. is really awesome. Um so, yeah, I do, I, I stuff dates. I cut them just on one side, so I open them up like a buck, and I stuff them with nut butter, specifically cashew in, mm. in the um, cookbook here. But I've also used almond butter, peanut butter, any butter. And then I dip them in dark chocolate, and I top them with various things. In the book, I've topped it with sea salt, like really big flakes of sea salt. Yes, please. Yes. Um, dehydrated berries that are like bright red oh, powder strawberries and yes. raspberries coconut it goes on and on love uh, it really tasty fast little dessert okay so i have everything uh in my kitchen and i intend to make them tonight i, I will toast you with a stuffed chocolate dip sea salt flake sea salt finished date um and and celebrate 
uh, the success of your first book with many more to come. Um, thank you for gracing the show, for bringing insight and inspiration. I hope you will come back um, and um, share the beautiful, happy, healthy new baby story and then what you're eating now and oh, we could talk baby food. Oh, so much more. Uh, so much. So much. Congratulations oh, Jamie, to you. I would you. love it. It would be an honor. Thank you. A, thank a you. Ton of fun today. I'm so thank glad. You. Thank you. The book is entitled The Nutritionist's Kitchen. It is from I'm registered dietitian nutritionist Carly Knowles. It's K-N-O-W-L-E-S. And she very empoweringly, very inspiringly shows you how to transform your food into medicine from the comfort of your home kitchen. These are recommendations that include the latest science, which I think is so important. I believe in science to help you restore balance, to promote optimal health and wellness. And the recipes are just scrumptious. So please add this book to your collection. The entire, the uh, book entitled the nutritionist's kitchen, the author Carly Knowles. You can learn more at Carly and follow at Carly Knowles nutrition as well. Happy, healthy, perfect baby. Carly, thank you again. And, uh, and thank eat well, you. we'll talk to you soon. Thanks Thank so you. much, Jamie. Happy Thank New you. Year. Happy New Year to you. We do have inspiring culinary thinkers on this show, and there's lots more fabulous food in your radio right after this. life, create and savor yours. Welcome back, Chef Jamie Gwen in your radio. Warm and cheesy or hearty and braised, it's comfort food season. Cold nights lend themselves to soul-warming food, and this man knows comfort food. It's in his bones. Stack the flavor cards in your favor and listen up, because David Leet has recipes to share that you will want to steal. David is a three-time James Beard award-winning food writer and the founder of LeetsCulinaria.com, where he shares hot food and dry wit. He's also the author of The New Portuguese Table and the very real memoir entitled Notes on a Banana. David is an expert on many things, of course. His blog has been much adored for its deliciousness since 1999, and I'm very proud to have him as a culinary contributor to this show. He's back with delicious inspiration. And David Leet is here to dish. Happy New Year to you, my friend. Happy New Year to thank you, you, too. Thank you, thank you. I love talking food with you. So let's talk comfort food. Although January sure. often considered lean and clean, I think we'll have yeah. some of that. But I think for now, with the times as they are, um, <laughs> I, I think... I think comfort works. Yeah, I think it's fitting, right? And I think comfort food dishes are often defined by where you grew up or how you grew up or food memories. Do you agree? I agree. I think it has a lot to do with your culture. It has a lot to do with uh, your what you had growing up and mm-hmm. your memories growing up. So absolutely. Okay. So you are richly steeped in Portuguese roots and there must be some go-to comfort food for you that sure. makes you feel at home. Well, so many <laughs> dishes do make me feel at home and yes. there's comfort, but there's one that I, I adore. It's called the Bifanish. Bifanish. Uh, B-I-F-B-Fanish. B-I-F-A-N-S. And it's a 
Portuguese pork sandwich. Mm. It has really thinly sliced pieces of pork that have been marinated in white wine and tons of garlic, because, of course, we love garlic, and bay leaf and some white wine vinegar and paprika. Um, and then it, it's marinated for, you know, several hours, and then they're, they're quickly, quickly fried. And in lard, if you really want to be comforted in lard, <laughs> yes. and they are served on what's called popsech, which means little dry rolls. And they're not dry, that's just their names. And they're wonderful little rolls of this nice little baby butt crease on top. <laughs> and it's very soft and it's wonderful. And they're served with mustard or piri-piri sauce, depending what you want. And they are such a classic, and they're served all over Portugal, but, I mean, we had them growing up in Fall River and New Bedford and in Providence. Mm. They're just a wonderful, wonderful dish. Okay, so I'm staring at that pot of the beautiful meat in savory sauce mm-hmm. on uh, lccooks.com, and mm-hmm. I read through, <clears throat> and what I caught was that there is, is a secret to the sauce, right? It needs to slowly simmer all day, and then you compound it, right, as they're... Uh, as the meat goes da- down in the pot, essentially, as you serve it, right, then you just keep adding more right. and the sauce continues to reduce. Is that how it is? That's, that's how they do it in Portugal. I mean, here you're only doing, you know, a, a pound or so. But in Portugal, they have this, these huge, huge skillets. I right. mean, they're very big and very deep. And then the liquid just slowly mm. gets depleted and they put more liquid back in and that gets depleted and the pork just gets more and more tender. And it's exquisite. And those are just, I call them, you know, pork chops. Instead of pork chops, they're pork chops, where you just go and you have these wonderful sandwiches. Um, but the one on the site that you're seeing is mm. um, is more my version yes, it of looks, what I have. But. Oh, it looks so good. It reminds me, David, of uh, a teriyaki sauce recipe. So I was taught to make teriyaki sauce by the great chef Roy Yamaguchi. And mm-hmm. he tells a story in his family. Talk about, I mean, there, there's your uh, Japanese comfort food, right? So right. he tells a story about in his home growing up, there was a pot of teriyaki sauce. And by the way, yeah. for all of his years, it was the same pot. So they would make a mm-hmm. batch or his mother made a batch. And then mm-hmm. I'm sure she cleaned it once in a while. But as it would be depleted, as you talk about, then they would compound it. They would make another batch of teriyaki sauce on top of what was left in the pot so that they always mm-hmm. had enough. But it was yep. like you were feeding the sourdough starter, right? You always started with the base of uh, old sauce. And so right. you had this depth of flavor that was ever deepening. And I think of that same thought. It's interesting that you say that because my grandmother, my mom's mother, would have a pot on the stove of a hunch, which is rice. And what she would do is she would make it. And then if there was like some leftover beef or something, she'd chop it up. She'd put it in the pot. She'd stir it and put it in the refrigerator. Then the next day it's lightly heated. Some more broth or some more whatever sauce she was using yes. was put in. It was stirred, and that was served. And if chicken was served that day, anything left over, sometimes she'd chop it up and put it in there. So it was an ongoing pot. Exactly. It really was kind of a 
a Portuguese hot pot, you know, whatever was there. I would love for us to dig deeper if you'll come back, please. Although you've already promised me 2021. So for a fabulous read, please look for David's moving memoir called Notes on a Banana. Follow David as well on social at David Leet. It's L-E-I-T-E. Thank you for sharing a hug on a plate. That's exactly what I think of when I think of comfort food, David. It's a hug on a plate. (laughs) It is. (laughs) Definitely. Thank you uh, again. Uh, Very happy new year. Talk to you soon. And to you too. And so that takes us to the end of another hour of sheer culinary delight. Well, at least I hope you thought so. I'll leave you with my last bite, I like to call it, my last ounce or tidbit of culinary conversation for the weekend. Have you made root beer pulled pork? Lately? Yet? Ever? Well, you know I love a five-ingredient recipe, and this one is so super simple, but there's something so absolutely winter wonderful about it. It's a slow cooker recipe, in fact, so you need about six hours and a pork shoulder or pork butt, right? Some really good dry rub, your favorite, of course, Uh, a can of root beer, And some barbecue sauce. Oh, and then, of course, some Kaiser rolls split so that you can make the sandwich. And you literally slowly cook that pork shoulder that's been rubbed full of flavor with the root beer. Six hours later, you discard the cooking juices and you shred the pork with a couple of forks. You stir in the barbecue sauce and you cook it until it's heated through again and the sauce just soaks into the meat. You have what is very luscious pulled pork. And I suggest you serve it on rolls and you eat more than one. I will post the recipe for my root beer pulled pork in a slow cooker on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Chef Jamie Gwen. So please follow. And I will meet you here next weekend when there is lots more fabulous food in your radio. Please stay healthy and well. Wear a mask. I'm Chef Jamie Gwen signing off. I thank you for listening and I hope you continue to eat well. Well.